Welcome to Time to Adapt. This is where we dive into the books and talk about the movies that they're based off of. Well, um, uh, with me, as always, is Mac. Hello there. And today we are going to be talking about an awesome comic that made an, <laughs> that was adapted into a not-so-awesome movie, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. Yes. As a podcast, we, we do talk about really good adaptations, but... I think it's important to talk about the bad ones. Because those are fun. Yes, they're <laughs> Along fun. Along with the, like, the good ones are also fun to talk about. Because, like, they're just, like, so good. But then also, just sometimes when something's god-awful, it's just fun to rip it to shreds. Also, just to enjoy it. Too. Yes. And what really sucks is that this is one that I've held very close to my heart. So, here's the backstory. Back in... 2000, um, back in 2003, when League of Extraordinary Gentlemen came out, I was so excited because it looked so cool, and I ended up watching it and thought, oh, this is so awesome, it's so cool, it's, it's got everything, it's got Sean Connery, it's got the Invisible Man, it's got a Captain Nemo, and it's got a giant submarine, and... It's got an automobile in 1899. <laughs> it's it so made no steampunk. Sense. It made no sense, but it was cool. And even up until like the last few years, I've always been afraid to talk about the movie because I knew how much how many people hated it for good reason. <laughs> this movie is a shitty adaptation, <laughs> and we're gonna get into that shitty adaptation. In the- in a second. But first, let's focus on the, the source material, the yes. comics, uh, which I actually have right in front of me. Um, today, we're going to be mainly talking about Volume 1 because that's what the film is largely based off of. Um, like, the story and the characters and the intro is kind of based off of Volume 1. But the series, what, there's like uh, three or... Wait, sorry. Yeah, there's... Um, there's, it's a trilogy, so. Yes. So, in the comic series, there is this... It, the, the first one takes place in 1899, and it's all about this sort of... Sort of like a Justice League of famous literary characters from writers by Jules Verne, Arthur Conan Doyle, um, Bram Stoker, H.G. Wells, uh, Robert Louis Stevenson... Um, characters that all like show up within this same time frame that the that the the years take place. So in this one, the main characters are Mina Murray, Alan Quartermain, um, Captain Nemo, Jekyll and Hyde, uh, Henry Jekyll and Mister Hyde, yeah. and the Invisible Man, who is something uh, Griffin. Yeah, Griffin. Last name. They, they could call him Griffin. And this was written by Alan Moore, who's a legendary author who's pretty... V for Vendetta. V for Vendetta. Like, so many to name, right? From Hell. um, He's written a Necronomicon story that was really amazing. And a very weird comic called Lost Girls. But we're not going to get into that. (laughs) So, in this, um, follows a very steampunk setup. And... It is very steampunk. Um... Said because everything is like it's like this the world that 
it's taking place of it's like the beginning of like automation basically yeah uh, so that's like a big theme that's in the story is just like the the villain he has this giant ship that's like it looks awesome like there's there's yeah. giant bat wings yeah the artwork by Kevin O'Neill is just incredible there are some of these panels that I just want to get like cut out and frame they're 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 so beautiful. And so in this in in volume one, the main villain is Moriarty, and it's sort of like a spoiler. That's kind of like a, it's sort of like never not not figured out until at the end of the end of the near the near the climax of the book. But it doesn't really matter. You still figure it out. Yeah. Um, Which, for those who don't know, that Sherlock. Yeah, villain, Sherlock Holmes. A villain in Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, and he is he's also in the the movie. But we're gonna get into that in a little bit. So. In the comic, Mina is the wrangler of the league. She's yeah. the one who's called in by um, MI6 um, to gather up the crew, the, like a crew of people to basically mm-hmm. protect. And it's implied in the comics that they've done this many times before. There's a they did this in the 17th century and the 18th century. So. There are other characters that show up that are all like in one in one really interesting series. Um, Prospero from Shakespeare's The Tempest was the head of the league in like the 1600s. It's, it's really cool if you get into the if you get deep go for a deep dive into the lore. Mm-hmm. But in this, um, Mina is sent. She's first sent to. Uh, Quartermain. She goes to uh, Cairo. Cairo, and she finds Quartermain in Quartermain. a. Um, drugged up on opium. Yeah, he's like a shadow of his former self, basically. Mm-hmm. And then she almost it's assaulted, but he he intervenes, and that's kind of how because she she goes there on her own to to gather him to to try and convince him to join her and to help protect England. But um, at first he's not very willing, and then he reluctantly goes on board. Yes, and um, from there they get, um, well, Captain Nemo was already kind of... He was kind of already on board. <laughs> he was kind of already on board. And it's interesting because um, at times, you know, he doesn't really say, like, I'm not working for Britain. I'm working for the ocean because, like, the ocean is his his home to him. That's where he lives. Mm-hmm. Um, they then go to Paris where they meet up with a character who shows up in Edgar Allan Poe's Murders in the Rue Morgue mm-hmm. who helps them find... Dr. Jekyll, but Jekyll is in the form of Hyde, and there's a bit where the bit where the the panel where he first comes out, oh, is he creepy and scary? And he's he looks basically like a giant like humanoid ape, and that's kind of what he comes off as, and like 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 a like a humanoid mixture of the Hulk and King Kong. Yeah, he's how the artwork for him, he's just terrifying. Yeah. Oh. I'm Edward Hyde. He has like these giant teeth, like and he looks like his his face is just sinews, Mm -hmm. like uh, not even skin. He's a bit he's a bit (coughs) horrific, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot of delightful panels of him ripping people to shreds. (laughs) Oh yeah, it's gorgeous, beautiful stuff, beautiful stuff. So they're sent on this mission to figure out, um, basically, you know, save the world. That whole that whole thing and. It's volume one is fantastic. I think it's fantastic. It's probably one of the one of the most clever and most creative ideas I've ever seen put to comics. 
pudding. It is very seamless how they take all these literary characters and put them into one universe and one, like, they work so well, like, how it's written, they work so well in this world that uh, Alan Moore created. Like, it doesn't feel weird or out of place that, oh, okay, so Mina Murray, aka Mina Harker, like, uh, she she's in the same space as, like, uh, the Invisible Man or, like... Um, like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. Yes. Like, it, it, it works so seamlessly, these characters. Because uh, they're all, like, a bit awful. <laughs> yes. Especially... <laughs> but, but they work so well together. It's like... Like, uh, car- like there's been so many, like, TV series where it's like, let's get some shitty people who are also kind of redeemable, but not very, and put them into one space. But this comic does a, such a good job of making them, like have aspects of them that you just don't you like you don't really like them but at the same time you do um like Mina Murray I was saying before to Mac I was like she's such a badass like I oh, want to yes. be your friend but I'm scared of her at the same time and like characters like Holly Griffin um when the, the invisible man when they first find him he's in a like a, he's in a girls school and he's basically raping the girls at night and they're all convinced that it's immaculate conception because He's, He's invisible. invisible. And it's it's awful, but also it's I think it's weird. Just, it's it's weird but kind of funny. It's like you, yeah. they're, 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 they name drop Pollyanna, a literary character in it, and the, that was where I'm like, ah, I see what you did there. Oh, uh, and just like so people know, Pollyanna's from um Oh my <laughs> gosh, remind me. I can't remember the name right now. I can't even remember the name of the author, but famous literary character. Yeah. Um anyway. So they're all put to, brought together, and they go off to save the world. And they have to, the first thing they're doing is they're looking for a crime lord named Fu Manchu, and mm-hmm. he's not mentioned by name for trademark reasons, and he's always called the Doctor, but yeah. it, he's he's Fu Manchu. And then there's a whole like setup with the main villain, who's revealed to be Professor Moriarty. Um, he survived his famous fall and is rescued by some evil characters and they help um, they find out that the criminal empire is a front created by British intelligence which he controls and he controls London's West End criminal underworld and Fu Manchu controls the East and they're trying, the, the league has to stop this giant gang war that's taken to the skies Yeah, and it's it's amazing. It's the, so steampunk, but in the best way. In the best <laughs> way. It's like just utter carnage and chaos, but it's beautiful. And and it's cool because like throughout the comic, you see each character like utilizes their specific sets of skills. Yes. Like, um, And then there's the bit where... Um, another thing that's... Again, we'll probably go into this in the... We're talking about the movie too, but the Nautilus... Mm-hmm. Which is what they use as a main uh, way of going in and around um, Captain Nemo's sea vessel. It looks awesome. It's like a mixture <laughs> of a, it's like it's like a squid attacking a whale. Yeah, that's what, that's what the submarine looks like. It looks like a giant like silver dildo in <laughs> the movie. But that's I know it's it looks so Nautilus, t- the dildo of the ocean. <laughs> But anyway, yeah, we're going to get into that in a minute. It's not the prettiest looking thing. <laughs> like, no, 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 no. 
in the film. And we're going to get into, I have things to say about Oh my god, the car. We're going to go into that. <laughs> okay, <on>. sorry. <laughs> so, just getting some flashbacks here. Yeah, not flashbacks <laughs> for me. Um, so, finally, um, as always, the, the League succeeds in the end. And then in Volume 2, there's um, they, a War of the Worlds comes in to play, and a lot of the League becomes very, a lot more untrustworthy, especially with Mr. Hyde becoming more and more um, unhinged. Mm-hmm. And it gets it, it goes into pretty weird territory. I'd say, like, Volume 2 is where um, you might be like, ooh, I don't really want this happening. But that's something completely different. We're going to... That'll be for another time if they ever, if they ever adapt it. Which if they do another adapt, adaptation, but that's something else. So anyway, now we go into the movie. Oh boy, oh, the movie. Oh boy. So, so came out in two thousand and three. Uh, <laughs> it was pr- it was promoted as L X G, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. <laughs> Dun, 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 so epic. <laughs> and, yeah, it was... If you can tell, like, we, we already kind of just, like... We have our minds made up about this movie. Yeah. <laughs> and it sucks, because up until, like... like I, I want to be a little bit more objective here, but, like... I'm going to be a little objective, and I'll, I'll... This is what I'll say about this. So, 20th Century Fox put this out, and their hope was they were trying to make a franchise out of it, and they kind of wanted to give it an X-Men vibe. Because at the time, that was their big seller, was the X-Men. And in a way, that's what they are. They're they're, they're like like an X-Men of literary characters. Mm -hmm. But this fucking sucks. (laughs) And this is... So So they had this idea, and then what they did was turn it to shit. (laughs) Yes. So what they do is, um, it stars Sean Connery. He got top billing as Alan Quartermain. And they make him the lead, uh, the, the leader of the league, and it just doesn't fit. It doesn't fit. What like, made Mina, what made Mina so great in the comic is that she's, she's seen shit. She knows she's been to. She's seen pure evil. She knows where it comes from, and she knows how to fight it. Mm-hmm. And in this, they kind of she's put kind that of the s- glue to the whole group. Yeah, and but and in the com and in the comic. She's not really a vampire. Yeah. She, I mean, like, in the movie, she's a vampire. Flat out, she's a yeah. vampire. <laughs> they, they show it. It's, <laughs> it doesn't work. Really, no. Because it, if, like, if, you read, if you read Dracula, and we read it, yeah. <laughs> she's basically, when, when Dracula is killed, she herself is cured, so yeah. to speak. So, they make Quartermain the, the, the leader and they add two characters. One Tom is Sawyer. Dorian Gray. Right. Well, Tom Sawyer too, but Dorian yeah. Gray first, who shows up in the comics, but just not in the first volume of the comic. And it doesn't fit. <laughs> um, and then because the studio wanted to bank it more for American audiences, they added a character who's only ever called Special Agent Sawyer in the movie, when in the, the credits, it's, it's Tom Sawyer. And, again, kind of a cool idea, but not for a League of Extraordinary Gentlemen film. So, among the other beyond inaccuracies, there's... It's an 1899, and they drive around in an automobile 
on neatly paved roads. <laughs> that doesn't make sense because... The car is ridiculous. It's one... The front of it is, like, ridiculously long. It's, like... How the, do they all well, fit in that damn thing? It's so, like, souped up and just... It's so extra. And they're, like, we want to give... Like, show the style of this film in this car. And it's, like, the most gross-looking, like... Steampunk, but not steampunk chrome thingamabob. Don't get me it's wrong. It's literally a thingamabob. It's, don't get me wrong. I wish I had this car, but nowadays, <laughs> I, we, this doesn't work in 1899. But so no, it just it felt so like <coughs> unnecessary. Yeah, it really was. It basically like. Obviously, you can tell so much work went into it, and obviously, like. Art production wise, like it was fantastic. Art direction, this this movie definitely like they maybe not maybe not for the color scheme. Color scheme is just gray and kind of meh. And in the comics, it's a little more colorful because each character has their own sort of like color scheme and color theory. But yeah, I like but for the art production wise, like it, it's not horrible. It's yeah, not terrible. No, 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 no. It's actually pretty good, I guess. Mm-hmm. But it was just like so unnecessary. Some of like the car and. Anyways. So, so the <laughs> among the other changes, um, the the Invisible Man they couldn't they couldn't get the rights to H. G. Wells's character, mm-hmm. which I didn't realize at the time that they were doing this that character wasn't in the public domain yet. So, so um, instead it's Rodney Skinner who's a thief who managed to steal the process of how to become invisible, and so he's Rodney Skinner, and. The way that he shows himself is kind of cool. Like, um, he has this, like, white face cream, which also is in the comic, where he yeah. puts it on himself. And it's... To be seen, because, like, Elsie's to... just, like, some floating clothes when yeah. he's not naked. <laughs> yeah. And there's a lot of, like, parts that, that are cool about that, but also some big ina- inaccuracies. So, in the storyline, uh, there's this villain called the Phantom. And there's a... A really cringeworthy moment when um, Quartermain's getting briefed on him and he goes, Oh, how operatic. <laughs> you fucker. How dare you. So, the Phantom is trying to create a world war by creating tension between Germany and England. Mm-hmm. And comes so close to it and it's never really explained until the end that he kind of runs both shows because he just wants to make a lot of money off of a world war. And you also find out in the end that the Phantom isn't real. It's actually M. It's it's more it's Moriarty. Who you don't even figure that out. Like at first you're just like, oh the Phantom is M. The Phantom is M because the M M is the guy who first brings them all together. He brings together at least Quartermain, Nemo, and Mina, mm-hmm. and Skinner, and then they go off and find Mr. Hyde. Um, and then Mr. Hyde, well, I gotta give I gotta give credit to Jason Fleming. Jason Fleming portrays Doctor Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. He's probably the saving grace of this film. Yeah, because he's definitely from watching it. Like when when I watched it, like his character was the like one of the more interesting to watch. Yes. Like, the guy who played, um, oh my gosh, um, like, Skinner, his character, like, that character, like, he was also kind of interesting to watch, but definitely Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, like, Mm. in the film, 
<laughs> yeah. Like, besides just, like, Sean Connery being Sean Connery, he literally just played a Sean Connery, like, himself. Yeah, that's basically himself. He plays himself. <laughs> and there, I, I could go... I'm, I'm going to go into the, some of the production problems in a little bit. Because there were for, many. <laughs> there were many. But I just want to get in all the problems with this movie. So, the main villain, um, Moriarty, played by Richard Roxborough, also played the main villain in a... Also, not very good movie that came out a year later called Van Helsing, which yeah, yikes. Um, and again, that's a movie that I like. I hold very dear, close to my heart as a child. So it really sucks to <laughs> rewatch these things when you're older and realize just how fucking terrible these things are. Anyway, so <clears throat> God, I gotta, gotta control myself here. Ooh, getting some nerd rage. Getting some nerd rage. Getting some nerd rage here. <laughs> so, the first thing that the Phantom steals, like he wants, he gets Da Vinci's Blueprints of Venice. Why he needs Da Vinci's Blueprints, we don't know. <laughs> there probably are better blueprints that have a better showing of how, of what Venice looks like from below. But it's not Da Vinci. It's not Da Vinci. There's not the name drop. It's not cool enough. <laughs> And then there are the sequences where they first they have to go to Venice and they're like um they're um the phantoms what what he wants to do is destroy um Venice to help uh wage the flames of war. But there are these scenes where first of all the car shows up again and the car is easily driving through Venice trying to stop in typical like action movie logic. They have to, like, there are these explosions that go off, and the only way to stop the explosions is to make even more explosions at one area to make them all stop. Makes perfect sense in a movie. In real life, makes no sense at all. <laughs> and so, so here's this car driving in 1899 on, like, perfectly paved streets in Venice. Doesn't make sense. Makes no sense at all. But getting back to Mr. Hyde... Um, the practical, like the their practical effects of how they made him up, I see it. I understand why they did what they did. I'm not a big fan of it, but I can see it working, working to their advantage. Um, there's a sequence where um, well, later on in the movie you find out that Dorian Gray was, um, like the, the the plot twist is that Dorian Gray is evil and he's been yeah he, he works he's working with M, and the scene where the submarine starts to sink and. It's an explosions and um, Mr. High, like the way that um, Jekyll figures out that, that there are bombs set up is when, and then this is another, oh God, there are so many things that are wrong with this movie, I, I don't know where to start. Um, yeah. <laughs> so M leaves them a record that they play on a phonograph, a phonograph that would not be invented for another 10 years. I feel like going into just like what is historically wrong is just too too hard to like because yeah. everything is Cause like like, there's the like we have to like yeah it's set into this like this fantastical other universe but it's just so sometimes like some of those historical inaccuracies are just like a little hard to get past. Oh yeah, but um, the record has like it trade the record has like a. Um, a trigger thing that 
lets off these these charges, and Mr. Hyde is the only one who can hear it because you can hear it through the mirror. I don't know how the hell that worked, but that worked. And it's up to Mr. Hyde to open the vents to like get let out the water, so so it can, um, so it cannot sink. And somehow they explain, I guess, that Mr. Hyde can breathe underwater somehow. I don't know how that works, but it works if you don't think about it. <laughs> um, so, then at the end, there's some really, really bad uh, visual effects where they're, they're fighting, and um, there's these, all these, like, scientists and doctors have been, like, been kidnapped all over the world, and they're working for Moriarty in, like, like Antarctica or, like... North, like the Arctic Circle. I don't know where. I can't remember. I'm Basically, not to think it's about literally it. just a hot mess. Yeah, it's a hot mess. <laughs> um, you find out that Skinner was like working to find out all this stuff, and he was naked the entire time. And like, he ends up telling them all this stuff that he's when they're in the Arctic. So he was running around naked <laughs> this entire time in the Arctic. He should have died of hypothermia <laughs> long ago. But anyway, okay. So like. Let's get into the, the pro- production. The, the, the production. So one of the big problems was Sean Connery just had a terrible working relationship with Stephen uh, Norrington. Like, he hated <laughs> being on that set. He hated that production. And basically, after this, he was like, fuck it, and retired. Yes. So that's... He, like... There was a famous part where... um Norrington was so angry with the final product that he didn't attend the opening party of the film. And when asked where the director was, Sean Connery said, check the local asylum. (laughs) He didn't like the studio supervision. He was uncomfortable with the large crews. And yeah, Connery was, Connery was pretty butthurt at the time because he had just made probably the biggest mistake of his, of his entire career where he turned down the role of Gandalf in The Lord of the Rings because he didn't understand the script. (laughs) A role that cost him millions upon millions of dollars. And so, out of spite, he decided to do the next script that came through his door, and that was League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. He also, like, didn't want to... In the comics, uh, as we talked before, Mina finds him in an opium den. Uh... Sean Connery, like, in the script that was still there that he was going to be in an opium den, but he didn't like the idea (laughs) of him, like, his character being on drugs, so he's like, no. So, because he got all whiny about it, that he... Had him chilling in Africa. Just being, like, with all... Like, yeah, he was in Africa, just away from the public eye. Um, So they had to change the script because he didn't want to. But basically, he just had a miserable time. <laughs> he had a miserable time. And there's, there is, um, in the comics, later on in the series, don't quote me on this, because I haven't, I haven't really, like, delved into, like, a lot of the lore, but I do know that Mina is immortal, as is Quartermain. And because of that, um, they, they kind of, it's obvious by the end of the film, they were trying to set up for a sequel. Yeah. And be in in the bit. There's a bit where um, they explain that Sean Connery once that Alan Quatermain saved an entire African village from being destroyed, and this witch doctor said, 
Africa will never allow you to die. So that explains why he why he's being resurrected at the end of the film. Mm-hmm. Um, on top of that, I mean, obviously they make Mina a vampire in the movie, so she lives forever. Based and there's off that. there's a really funny moment when they're the um, Mina and Dorian Gray are like explaining they they had a thing at some point, and they have this scene where they're they're fighting each other, and it's it's so pointless because they're fighting each other and they're like cutting each other up but they just healed the constantly and then Stuart Townsend as Dorian Gray makes a great moment where he's just like you know we're gonna be at this all day (laughs) and I'm like yeah that's what everyone in the fucking theater is saying right now (sighs) so the movie was a disaster at the box office critically panned Roger Ebert gave it a one star review. I'm gonna I'm pulling up the review right now because it's glorious. <laughs> I mean, it's I do love me my terrible, terrible reviews. Okay, where are you? Here we are. Here we go. Yeah, one star. The League of Australian Gentlemen assembles a splendid team of heroes to battle a plan for world domination, and just when it becomes to become a real corker of an adventure movie. Plunges into incomprehensible action, idiotic dialogue, inexplicable motivations, causes without effects, effects without causes, and general lunacy. What a mess. (laughs) It is... Oh, God. It's bad, and, um... He... There's the this this okay. I, I'm gonna read a little bit more. I don't really mind the movie's lack of believability. Well, I mind a little to assume audiences will believe car, cars racing through Venice is as insulting as giving them a gondola chase down the White House lawn. <laughs> gondola chase down the wild White House lawn. <laughs> what I do mind is the movie plays like a big wind came along and blew away the script, and they ran <laughs> down the street after it and grabbed a few pages and shot those. Since Oscar Wilde contributed Dorian Gray to the movie, it may be appropriate to end with his dying words. Either that wallpaper goes, or I do. <laughs> this movie sucks. <laughs> but I love it. It's definitely, like... Because I also watched... When I first watched it, I watched it when I was young. And when I first watched it, I was like, What? They have literary characters together in one space. (laughs) (laughs) So, like, as a kid, like, it was cool. But, like, now that I know more about (coughs) film and, like, I've done more readings and, like, when I look back at it, I'm like, they really did a disservice to the story. Oh, yeah. They, there's hardly anything except for, like, the characters themselves but like weird interpretations of those characters they really just like didn't it's not really an adaptation they did their own thing yeah, they did their own thing and, and you know, it's okay if to do your own thing yeah if you just like then just completely say this has nothing to do with League of Extraordinary Gentlemen mm-hmm. you could do and like, like one Penny the, Dreadful basically basically and to those who don't went, know Penny Dreadful it's a Showtime series it was cancelled too soon yeah. But it's basically like a Lee of Extraordinary Gentlemen thing, but it's with like horror literary characters. Yeah, so there's uh Frank Victor Frankenstein, um Dracula. Oh, Dracula, uh they have Frankenstein's uh monster. monster. It's really cool cuz it's kind of set in the same era there's it's not steampunk. Yeah. Um 
But it brings together these literary characters, kind of how League of Extraordinary Gentlemen does. And they're trying to fight evil, but they're also kind of, not evil, but they're kind of on the dark side too. Um, so that's a good example of taking the same like idea and vibe and turning it into your own thing. League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, the film, is a bad example of that. Yes. They Very just... bad. So if you if you never, like I said before, I'm, I'm bringing it all full circle. You've never read the comic, you'll be okay with the movie. Yeah. If you've read the comic, you're going to be pissed. Just if, if you read the comic and you want to watch the movie, just go in expecting that you're not going to see anything related to the series. Yes. Just, they are two separate entities. As a film, a standalone film, it's not a great one. It's like, filmmaking-wise, it's, it's not a fantastically made film. It's very run-of-the-mill. But it has moments which are enjoyable. If you, if you, just, if you don't mind turning your brain off. <laughs> yeah, basically this is a turn-your-brain-off schlock. Yeah. And like we said, it made Sean Connery quit acting. <laughs> and that the, that the, that tells you anything about this production. <laughs> That's all you need to know. So Stephen Norrington, I don't think he ever did another film, or not yet, at least. I'm not sure. Um, it's still something that is very much of its time, and it also made. Um, it made Alan Moore reconsider um, giving his name to any of his adaptations. Yeah, because he was not a fan of this. He was not a fan of the V for Vendetta comic or Watchmen or well, yeah, or From Hell for that matter. Mm-hmm. And because of that, he like when you watch Watchmen, he doesn't have his name on the um, in the credits. It's just co- based on the graphic novel illustrated by Dave Gibbons. Yeah, so. <laughs> So if it says something that the author <laughs> and the lead actor don't want anything to do with this, it kind of gives you a hint, but... Yes. So, with that being said, I'd like to thank you all for popping in on this uh, wonderful uh, episode of Time to Adapt. Thanks for listening, and until next time... <laughs> do we know anything about our next project? Well, since it is coming upon that Christmassy time, thinking some Charles Dickens up some in Charles here. Charles Dickens, perhaps, yes. Well, we'll... Christmas Carol. <laughs> ah, humbug. Ah, oh, humbug. All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. At Lowe's, we're committed to doing things right for our military. That means a 10% military discount, not just on holidays, but every day. Doing it right means extending that 10% discount to veterans, active military, and their family members. And it definitely means showing our appreciation for your service every day. Do it right. Start with Lowe's. Easy enrollment at Lowe's.com slash military. Discount on eligible items only. Terms and conditions apply. See Lowe's.com slash military for details. 
springtime tips and fun facts from Paul, Kristen, and Dexter at Total Wine & More. Every bunny loves honey-glazed carrots, a great side dish for your springtime celebration and a delicious compliment to a sweet, bright Moscato. Wine is made in virtually every country in the world, and I'm ready to give you a tour to find the right one. Serving lamb this season? Try it with a bold Cabernet from the trendy Paso Robles region. Whether you're hosting or just bringing the wine, we'd love to share our always low prices and ridiculous selection this spring at Total Wine & More. Cheers! Cheers! 